0: Hi, I'm Jason. And I'm Jeremy. And today we're talking about optimal control in price decision-making.
1: <laughs> price decision-making? Who's making these decisions?
0: It's a really exciting area in uh, data science whereby we get to learn how to set prices in a dynamic market maybe, where uh, there is varying demand and we don't necessarily know what that demand is over time, but we've got a commodity and we want to set the price and uh, maybe we can uh, use something like this to help us maximize our
1: revenue, typically. Okay, so we aren't the customer right now, we are the business and we're deciding how to set our price points for the customer to come and make the purchase.
0: Exactly, yeah. So. We're coming at this from the business perspective. We're we're trying to work out what the decision framework is that we allow us to
1: set our prices and understand, crucially, when to change prices. Okay, that's price decision-making in a nutshell. I get it now. Tell me about optimal control.
0: So the optimal control bit is where you decide that you want to optimise some aspect of this. Usually it's revenue, but it could be It could be happiness or enjoyment or, uh, you know, you're trying to optimize revenue, say, and you have certain decisions that you need to take. The optimal control bit tells you when you should make those decisions and what level uh, you can set those decisions to be. So the decision typically is what price should I be asking for and when should I change price?
1: Okay, so this is then sitting in the context of data science as a project where there's an algorithmic approach to this that we want to encourage around the optimal control of our decision making on prices.
0: Yeah, it's really nice. It speaks, I think, very powerfully to data scientists today, because data scientists without decisions that they influence are really not achieving what they might be achieving. And this subject, in a nutshell, I feel drives a lot of good thinking in data science because it allows a data scientist to go not just what's my data not just what's the clever algorithm i might be trying to implement or deploy today but also what's the decision that my algorithm and my data combined are going to produce and they're going to influence and what is the likely impact of that decision going to be it's it, it it's the whole chain basically if you're a data scientist it's what I feel you should be thinking about um, in order to maximize your, your um, impact as a data scientist, really.
1: How can we consider this in a real-world context to give us the case study of a data scientist setting a type of price point?
0: A nice example I came across for this was how you would go about eating cake, right? So I think you quite like cake, Jason.
1: I do. I don't know anybody who doesn't. <laughs> no,
0: I like cake too. It's not It's not unique. The setup for this is that you have a really lovely cake and you enjoy eating cake, but if, like me, you feel a bit sick, if you have too much of it in one go, then there is, there's actually an optimal amount that you might, you might consume in one sitting. But if you haven't scoffed the whole cake in one go, you then have an amount of cake which is left, the, the remainder, right? And then you, ha- you maybe come back tomorrow and the remainder of the cake still there. And you've got exactly the same type of problem. It's just with a small amount of cake. And the problem says, the optimal control bit is, how much cake should I eat on each day? And overall, how am I going to maximise my enjoyment of this cake over the lifetime of the cake? Which is basically until it's... It no longer exists. It's all
1: gone. <laughs> yeah, it's all gone. And I'm not going to consider right now that the cake has an expiration. I'm, I'm going to put that cake in a um, physics realm. It's a perfectly spherical cake right. in a vacuum. Yeah, we vacuum pack it as
0: soon as we finished it, so it never goes stale. It stays as fresh as anything um, for, for
1: as long as the cake is uh, still in existence. So that gives me an idea of the control that I want to put around my consumption and the measure of reward, or at least gratification in the case of eating a cake, how do we introduce the price point or the decision-making around prices to this analogy?
0: I think the decision point here is quite specific. You've got these discrete occasions, which are sort of daily, essentially, where you can decide whether you're eating cake, and you can decide how much cake you're eating. So there is no inherent price in this aspect of it, but there is an amount, a a total proportion, if you like, of the cake you can decide to consume, and that feeds quite nicely into a world where you have maybe a limited resource, and then you want to make a charge for that resource. So in the cake example, we're just maximising the amount of enjoyment we have across the whole cake eating um, siesta but in a business scenario the cake costs some money we want to charge for how much uh, the remaining amount of cake there is and uh, we want to set the price for for that maybe on a daily basis so we haven't got prices we're assuming fixed prices for the cake in this instance but in a real world scenario we might not want to do that we might have we might have variable prices and then what we're we're optimizing therefore is not necessarily um, enjoyment although we hope that Customers do enjoy their product, but but, but probably revenue, I would imagine.
1: Right. And then I could translate this to consider revenue proxied by my satisfaction from eating the cake. Because I want to maximize my satisfaction of eating the cake. And that's where my control comes in. And in another case study, from a business point of view, they want to maximize revenue with whatever other constraints might come into play. Am I understanding that right?
0: Yeah, so I, mean, I think in the cake example, there's only one actor. There's just, the, the, there's me and me eating the cake. Okay, so I suppose two, me and the cake. But in the, in the business example, you've got the commodity. You've got the business that's sort of orchestrating the sale of this commodity over a period of time. And you've got the consumer or set of consumers who are interacting with the business, uh, displaying demand for that commodity, and they want to purchase it for whatever reason, and the business gets to set the price on that.
1: And it's funny when you said one cake, and I'm thinking, if there's multiple cakes and I can see the consumption of each of those cakes, the one that's being consumed the fastest may be the one that then piques my interest as a customer. And I might think that's worth more because there's some element to that cake. That's inherently more delicious and hence more rewarding. So, I'm now willing to pay more based on this evidence that I've been presented. And I'm trying to translate that to any kind of customer driven decisions where you introduce a limit to the commodity or a demand. And, you know, fashion or something might be driven this way that if something is scarce yeah, yeah. or something is cool, yeah. then I want it more and I'm gonna pay more. And it's up to me how happy I am off the back of that. But what we're maximizing is the revenue and inherently a demand that comes with that. So very quickly, you get into a whole, very interesting world of customer heuristics
0: in the presence of certain scenarios, like the one you said, which is scarcity. So how do customers behave in in a scarce environment where they think that there isn't gonna be any bread tomorrow and they're basically prepared to pay a fortune for bread today as a result. So that would, be, that would be a really interesting sort of
1: next stage for this, I think. Is there a way that I can, in this analogy, eat the cake optimally? Is that what we're modelling?
0: Yeah, so what you can do, you can, say, you can say, given a certain enjoyment pattern, and you have to know what that is in advance, right? So you have to be able to somehow model the uh, amount of enjoyment you get from, for, from eating a certain chunk of cake but given that given that pattern there is a certain proportion of cake that you could lay down a a plan for eating every day until the cake had gone that would maximize your total enjoyment over the week that you're eating your cake so
1: and we should say that this cake analogy was inspired by an interview that you conducted with Manuel Afudani a data scientist at EasyJet let's hear what he told us
2: so first and foremost, thanks for inviting me. It's been a pleasure to deliver this talk. It's a very exciting area and I think the data science can do a lot to contribute to the airline growth and to uh, help them to adopt innovative methods to to sell tickets, but also airlines are very complex industry. So mm. it is true that today I've talked about how to optimally sell tickets to customers, we should keep in mind that um, in the airline industry there are many many problems uh, in which data science can really uh, help. Going back to this uh, problem, yes, I mean the point is that airline want to sell tickets to customer uh, to customers and uh, they want to do that in a way that give them both an immediate reward, but also uh, takes into account that the closer you get to the flights, uh, the more customers usually are willing to pay. So how to decide on tickets' price? And that's a, a question that we can answer in data science.
0: And what you showed us was that there are sort of crucial decisions, especially in the setting of prices in yes. tickets that you sell, and that you, you have these notions of ticket classes that uh, permeate the whole sort of process of, of sale of tickets from the moment they go on sale to the moment that the flight departs. So typically what you, you're telling us was that the class you start with is the cheapest class yes they come in strictly non-decreasing order. non-decreasing some a, a yes. good monotonic increasing yeah. sequence so, so you start with the cheapest class and then you gradually move up yeah. these class bands until you get to yeah. the, the the day before or maybe the hour before um, the, the bookings close and then and then and then you're in the most expensive territory Hopefully. That,
2: that means that the flight is selling well it might be the case that we don't get to the highest reserved class for that flight but
0: so I was interested in that particularly the interaction then between the demand that you see and process how the process flexes to absorb that uh, demand yes. so initially you'll set uh, you'll set a proportion of
2: the flight is that right that you yeah. want to allocate to a particular flight? well you that's your decision that's the decision you make at the end of the process mm. what you initially do, is to estimate demand for a given flight. Mm. So this demand can depend on many, many variables like uh, uh, the, the, the regions, let's say, between which the flight is, is flying. Yep. So UK to Southern Europe, for instance. It can also depend on the day of the, of the week, but more strongly on the period of the year. There is a seasonality in this yep. kind of stuff. So yep. the first step is to estimate a demand curve. So to predict how customers will respond when they reset a certain price. how many bookings or how many tickets are we expected to to sell at a given price and given the knowledge of this curve we try to understand how many tickets we should sell to them and what the set of prices with which uh, we should show to them
0: so each route will have a a distinct
2: demand curve potentially. yes you can approach this problem from many many points of view one would yes what is typically done is to treat this problem at uh, a root level yes or it a sector level sector is nothing but uh, one of the two parts of the route so our route can be london to paris okay but the sector can be london to paris or paris to london and you can have two different demand curves for these two sectors so
0: so that's your input that's your that's got to, you got you want to have ideally a fantastic forecast of your demand yep. and you plug that into your system and you get as an output you get these decision points which say these are the classes that I'm going to have. This is the proportion of the yep. flight I'm going to allocate to those Kids. classes. The classes
2: are set usually in a yep. typical revenue management problem, but this can vary from company to company. Yes. Uh, so this can be a possible scenario. You set the classes, and the the output of the process is to basically gives us uh, how many units shall we allocate to each possible class that we put on sale. And and also decides the price of the class or not? Well, you can set the price. One possible approach is to set the prices and decide on the units. Okay, So we fix the prices, the set of prices that we sequentially show to customers. And we decide on how many units we're going to sell. Or alternatively, we can allow the price to fluctuate. And we decide the set of prices itself. And the set of prices would be related to the demand. So in that case... By setting the price, we say, okay, we expect this demand, so automatically we are allocating some some capacity to do that price, so to that class, if you want to map prices to classes. I see, I see.
0: But then, you know, reality hits, and yeah. you open up bookings for a particular flight. Yeah. So let's imagine a scenario then when the demand doesn't quite meet your expectations. It's, a, it's obviously it's a, a trace of a, of a stochastic process, really, isn't it? So it might not happen, yeah. or it, it might be more, but let's imagine it, 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 it's not quite meeting what was expected so in that situation then the process sort of evolves
2: to try and adapt to that doesn't yes, it? yes exactly you try to recalculate basically to do a new prediction on uh, on the set of choices that you're going to make in the subsequent days so, so if
0: you don't see the level of demand in class yeah. one that you were expecting you can essentially recalibrate your
2: demand exactly. curve and recompute yeah. your classes and you start for the current state which, in, which is nothing but how many seats uh, you have left for your aircraft and try to basically um, rerun the process and rerun the, the decision process. Yes. Yes. Us to uh, recalculate the optimal uh, choices that uh, should lead you to to sell the maximum, to get the maximum revenue. Yes. Um, for that flight.
0: And and vice versa. So if the demand is higher than you're expecting, yeah. then then you could also recalculate. Of course, yes, yes. And of course you you could just go through your run through your allocation yeah. of, of seats for that class and, and then just automatically go into these yeah. higher fair, fair yeah, thing. In classes.
2: fact, I think you're required to do that every every day. So mm-hmm. because most of the time, of course, the predictions are not exactly aligned to 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 what reality is. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, you are required yes. to recalculate, recalibrate your your predictions every day basically. Ah, mm-hmm. yes. mm-hmm. oh,
0: that's really interesting. So the end result is is a process which is ingesting a forecast, producing a set of decision points into a fair setting revenue management process, but also recalibrating to the actual behaviour, booking behaviour that you see from the customer. That's a very
2: good description, I would say, yeah.
1: Well, Manuel, thank you very much. Thank you so
2: much, Jeremy. Thank you.
1: It's one of those problems I always find interesting that there are different prices for different customers. On the one hand, as a customer, It doesn't feel fair, but on the other hand, demand is what's driving it. And I understand that I should pay more for something that I'm essentially booking at a much later stage. So as a service, I'm not giving them very much notice. So I pay more because of that. But as a commodity, me and the person sitting next to me having paid two different prices, it just feels off somehow. So there's a whole element of the customer's kind of thinking that is funny to factor in as a data scientist. How should we weigh that or consider it?
0: It's a really good point. And from the data science perspective, it can appear like it's a, a classic scenario of I'm trying to optimise the price that I can set for a particular product given the demand that I'm seeing. On, and it's, it's just a process which a company is going through to, to find, to discover that price, going, oh, I could charge $50. Oh, no, I could charge $70. And maybe I could get away with $80. You know, it's almost like an auction in that sense. It's just a slightly oddly configured auction where the um, the price always goes up in these these chunks. But from the customer perspective, it feels very strange because it's it's even more complicated, I think, than Manuel was... Uh, making out. And, and to be fair, he's coming from the EasyJet perspective, which is you know, that of a, a budget airline. But in, in, in reality, or in the, in the wider industry, you've got uh, prices that change. I think we've seen scenarios where they change, not just on the day that you're booking it, or, or and not just for the, the route that you're looking at, not even the flight that you're looking at, but they might even change because of the country that you're coming from in terms of the country that your browser appears to be in when you're making the booking maybe. It might even you know, change because of the browsing history I've, that the customer has.
1: Yeah, the cookies that you have on your machine. Right, right. The rumor mill always says, clear your cookies or browse on a Tuesday or change the location of where you're booking your flights from and see how the prices might change. Potentially. There is a lot
0: of flexibility in a system like this to make it very, very tailored to not just a customer, but to a uh, the, the product of the customer, the location of the customer, the time they're booking, how desperate they appear to be when they're booking. How, you know, I mean, it really could get very, very specific and slightly freaky almost in terms of what the, the customer then sees.
1: I find the demand curve really interesting because... You don't want a scenario as a business where you've sold one really cheap seat and that's the only seat you've sold and now that plane has to fly with just that one customer and their £20 booking and there's not really a payoff there. But the demand curve is mitigating that risk. They've modelled that all of these seats will sell and the class for the fare that you're purchasing will move up. It doesn't really matter how soon they sell, just how soon they sell relative to the other customers' purchases. And the whole flight could sell out well in advance if all the customers knew well in advance.
0: Yeah, so the odd thing is, actually, the problem is really simple. It's just it's been implemented in this quite strange, arguably strange, but more complicated framework. So the problem is every airline has to sell their seats at... At a very similar average price to cover their costs plus a small amount of margin, for the sake of argument, say that that's fifty pounds a seat. I don't know what it is, but 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 say for short haul to Europe, it's probably something in those in in that in that range.
1: I'll buy it. That's a nice seat for a holiday somewhere. Yeah, remember. That's fifty pounds one way, then you've got the other return. Then yeah. you've got taxes. Have
0: you added taxes? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it always it always ends up suspiciously larger than what you thought it True. would be. True. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you've got the um the price that you want to get as an airline, but if you set that price, if you just say, right, I'm just gonna ask fifty pounds for all of these seats, you wouldn't make that money because what would happen is the other airlines would come in initially undercutting you with their fair class system and going well, i'm only going to charge 30 pounds for this seat because it's six months away from flying mm-hmm. and so they will sell loads of tickets at 30 pounds and then they'll start to go up their classes and you won't sell any at 50 until maybe quite close to the event when suddenly the premium customers come in the sort of person who needs to go to a wedding and they've booked they've left it too late and they the wedding can't be moved so you know you're going to have to Pay what what is being asked for to get, to get to the wedding, especially if you're the groom or something like that. So That would be a scenario where you would sell some, but you wouldn't sell the tickets at the, what you would need to sell them at to actually make your cost back if you set a flat rate for all of the tickets that you were selling on that aircraft. Because the system has evolved into this sort of staged fair class system which goes gradually up the classes and until you get to the sort of super premium customers as we said.
1: And I keep confusing it by fair class. We are referring to this class of price bands. It has nothing to do with the flight class.
0: That's right. Class. It's not first class, business class. We're literally talking quite simple system actually with the EasyJet model where you're just selling a cabin of seats and the fair class is initially The lowest price band if you like yeah and then it goes up through different price bands over time as you get
1: closer to departure so there's a lot to consider when we approach a problem like this from a data science point of view what's the kind of cutting edge in the technical aspects of modeling
0: honestly the cutting edge is probably just using data science in this in this um, (laughs) scenario so a lot of companies have been doing this or a version of this problem for a long time and they've been using experts who know the market and uh, maybe look on aggregator sites at what other competitors are doing and they have been adopting this model and going, well, we mustn't cut prices. We must always uh, increase our prices and we adopt this, this class, fair class system. But I think what Manuel was describing was a, a world where you, you can use this optimal control theory to give you a, a dynamic way of, Understanding when should I move to the next class? Potentially, how much should I be charging for that class in response to how much demand I'm currently seeing? I think that's really nice. That's really exciting because that's not a static thing that you sort of run once and forget. That's something where you could potentially be recalculating this every minute of the day or in response to every order that you're getting from from a customer. It could be very, very response-driven in terms of, what the decision process looks like on the
1: website. And what kind of algorithms are currently being employed, or I should consider if I want to learn more about it? So, the go to equation for this
0: theory, optimal control theory, uh, is actually one that people may have come across before. It's called Bellman's equation, which is uh, the same equation that uh, underpins uh, decision processes, Markov decision processes. It's quite a simple equation. It's just one where it serves to optimise the reward over a period of time and at the same time give you as an output the decision points for what you need to set up in your problem to maximise that reward. So the decision points being, in this case, uh, when you should raise to the next fair class and what price you should charge.
1: So I pick up this equation and I want to gather my data What kind of inputs are important in the data itself that we're gathering?
0: So this is yet another example where the forecast, what is going to happen, your best guess of what's going to happen in your market is key to configuring this equation. And this is why you do need to rerun it, because what your forecast tells you and what then actually happens is going to diverge. So, you know... Everyone knows who's run forecasts forecast before. You run a forecast and then after a day or two, or even an hour or two, the forecast is starting to drift from reality. So the, the nice thing here is that you can use the forecast to configure your equation, to get an idea of when you should be shifting to these next fair classes. And then a day later, you can run it again because actually the demand you are expecting uh, that day hasn't emerged. And you need to recalibrate basically to what you're actually seeing.
1: Yeah, and Manuel referred to the day of week and expressed the need to model seasonality here. But we know as well that air flights are prone to disruption based on a number of external factors. So you may have to add one of these factors in or essentially consider it when you rerun one of these edge cases of an interruption to the flights or
0: a weather scenario. Oh, yeah. If you're in the airline industry right now, you are rerunning these equations a lot because of a certain coronavirus uh, scenario that's uh, that's going on that suddenly means that all of the demand curves that you've been assuming were true have just been damped by, I don't know, probably sort of 20, 30 percent, which must be, you know, quite seat of the pantsy for them, I think.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. And I'm seeing people on those relatively empty flights because of some of the restrictions in place that people have decided not to travel for business for example cool so what I'm kind of taking away from this is that the demand curve again is in the hands of the customer and I need to be more proactive when I book my flights ahead of everybody else on that curve for me to get the optimal price point
0: yeah yeah for a customer to optimize against this you need to have a really good model of what the other customers are doing
1: It's just like when I'm in the shops looking at cake and if somebody else starts eyeing up that cake, I'm probably going to pick it up off the shelf and say, nah, that's my cake, I'm off. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Cool, thanks very much, Jeremy. (laughs) Thanks, Jason. Thanks for joining us today at the Data Café. You can share, subscribe or review online and please join us again next time.